Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, Relationship Goals. We live in a world that has more relationships, but less love, more sex, but less intimacy. Whether you're single, dating, married, or single again, let's learn to make right what the world has gotten wrong about relationships. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. What's up, Liquid Church? It is great to see you guys. I'm Pastor Kyra, and I'm so glad that you're here for the last week of our Relationship Goals series. Now, last week, Pastor Tim delivered an amazing message on the types of soul ties that we develop when we have sex with people outside of the covenant of marriage. And if you haven't watched it yet, do yourself a favor, go see it, because it was a hot topic with a holy challenge. But don't worry, church, because today I'm bringing PG back. Yeah, it to our Sunday service. Now, it may be PG, but it's no less important because today I want to talk about how to handle difficult relationships in the middle of our cancel culture. Now, how many of you are familiar with cancel culture? Cancel culture is basically when you put something offensive online and people are like, we don't agree with you, so we're going to cancel you. Now, here's how Urban Dictionary sums up cancel culture. It says, a desire to cancel out a person or community from social media platforms, especially when they're shown to be wrong about something. In other words, cancel culture takes place when a celebrity or a public figure does or says something that's really offensive. And so a public shaming takes place and a call is made to cancel the person, to either end their career by boycotting their work or asking their employer to fire them. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean. Are you guys familiar with The Mandalorian? It's a Disney show that's part of the Star Wars franchise. Well, last week, an actress on the show, Gina Carano, posted some comments on social media implying that being a Republican today is like being Jewish during the Holocaust because both groups are equally persecuted. Now, that's pretty strong. And I want to be clear, I'm not condoning her remarks. I'm just telling you the story. And as you can imagine, the post was shared by the social media police who called for her firing from the hit show. And so the hashtag FireGinaCarano started trending and she got fired from the show. In fact, here's what a Lucasfilm spokesperson said when they announced the decision to fire her. Gina Carano is not currently employed by Lucasfilm and there are no plans for her to be in in the future. Her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. Survey says Gina Carano has been canceled. Cancel culture has become a huge part of our lives. Last week, it was Chris Harrison from The Bachelor. He literally had to resign from his job. Canceled. And before that, it was Kevin Hart dropped from hosting the Oscars, canceled. And you guys know J.K. Rowling, she wrote the Harry Potter series. She had to return an award, canceled. It's really an intense phenomenon to watch people be piled on by a digital mob crying out for justice. In fact, The Daily, a popular New York Times podcast, actually defined the word cancel as a total social rejection of someone. Total. 
That's quite a qualifier. Complete separation. Adios. Absolute cutting off. Hasta nunca. That's a strong sentiment being applied to people. And I think that while we can agree that cancel culture is toxic, we don't want to admit that we take part in it. Now, I'm not saying people shouldn't be held accountable for things that they say that are both offensive and abusive. In fact, for the first time, people in power are actually being held accountable for the wrong things that they've done. So I want you to understand accountability is a good thing. It has its place, its time, and its function. The problem is that although cancel culture may have had its genesis in accountability, it is now based on atonement. We are out for people's blood. And whoever dares make a mistake, or say the wrong thing, or show a lapse in judgment, we are going to cancel. And here's the thing, guys. It's not just celebrities. It's now amongst us. In fact, the other day, I was on Facebook scrolling, and I saw somebody had posted that they got their COVID shot. And immediately, it was like within seconds, one guy responded, you just got the mark of the beast. And then another guy responded, you don't believe in science, and you're an idiot. And literally, it became like a fitting frenzy. The sharks were circling around for blood because that's how the internet works. They smell the blood, and now it's a pylon. And here's the thing, guys. It puts us in a position where we're caught between, do I either cancel them, do I reject the relationship, or do I like and go along with it? Or do I not say anything at all? By the way, I sometimes think that if Jesus were walking here on earth as a human during our time, I'm convinced he would have been canceled too. I mean, I want you to imagine these headlines, okay? Jesus says he's the only way to heaven. Offense faith leaders, canceled. Jesus says, give your money to the poor. He's a socialist, canceled. Jesus appoints 12 men, overlooks women, canceled. But here's the reality. Cancel culture is not kingdom culture. Now, Jesus met plenty of people who got canceled because they had upset the mob, mostly made up of religious leaders known as the Pharisees. And the story that most resembles our modern-day definition of canceling someone actually comes in John 8, where Jesus comes face-to-face -face with a woman caught in adultery. Now, I just want to pause and say, if you've experienced the pain of adultery, I just want to let you know how sorry I am that you've actually lived through that. There are words of healing for you in this story. Now, John 8, here's what it says. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? So here's the thing. This woman is cheating on her husband, okay? Now, we don't have all the details because the Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe it was a co-worker. Maybe it was an old flame. They reignited over Facebook. We don't know. But at some point, this woman hooks up with someone, and she gets caught. And look at what happens next. Bible says, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, 
this woman was caught in the act of adultery. So I want you to imagine this group of religious leaders. They're basically like the pastors. And they make her stand before the group because they're going to publicly shame her. And they're going to haul her in. And they're going to throw her on the ground. And they're going to stand before Jesus and say, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act. You know, this is where we get the phrase caught in the act. This story right here. So what does the religious police do next? Verse 5. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say, Jesus? Translation, bro, there better be a rock party because we're about to cancel this cheater. I mean, did you guys catch the cancel pattern? She's guilty of social violation. There's public outrage. This is a violation of every covenant that Israel had been given because this woman, full-blown, betrayed her marriage vows. And number three, a mob of religious conservatives tells Jesus to cancel her. Look at verse 5. Now what do you say, Jesus? In other words, Jesus, you're going to give her a thumbs up or are we going to have a rock party? It's the perfect trifecta of cancel culture. Bad behavior, public shaming, call to cancel. But they didn't really want to know what Jesus was thinking because they were trying to cancel him. I want you to look at verse 6. It says, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So understand, it's not even about the woman, it's about Jesus. The mob wants to cancel Jesus. So understand, this is a tough spot for Jesus, okay? Can we just acknowledge that? I mean, Jesus is here, and all of a sudden, he finds himself surrounded by an angry mob. And like the good mob that they are, they are out for blood, literally, because they want to stone the woman. And on one hand, if he agrees with the mob, he affirms cancellation is the way to go. On the other hand, if he disagrees, they're going to accuse him of saying cheating is okay. This is exactly what I call a no-win trap, which is why Jesus' response is brilliant. I mean, I want you to read this or hear this. Jesus bends down and starts to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard uh, him went away, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the women standing still there. So what does Jesus do? Church? He just bends down and he starts dabbling in the dirt. He starts writing something, scribbling right there on the dust. And we don't know what it is because the Bible doesn't tell us. But it's kind of interesting because some Jewish scholars actually say that Jesus was listing the Ten Commandments. I have a personal theory because if you read the verse, it says the men started leaving, right? First the oldest one, followed by the youngest one. So my theory is maybe Jesus is writing down the names of their mistresses. He's like Sally, Eunice, Jessica. And if your names are Sally, Eunice, and Jessica, please don't email me. <laughs> but this is what makes this story pretty unforgettable. 
because Jesus models for us what it means to live in the tension between like and canceled. Now, can I ask, have you ever felt caught between the two? Like when you see somebody say or do something offensive online, and you're like, should I say something? Do I unfollow them? Do I affirm them? Should I just flat out reject them? If I kind of blow it off, am I condoning them? Because I don't want to do that, but I don't want to crush them either. What do I do? Have you ever felt that way? Because if you have, I want to invite you to look at the brilliance of Jesus' response. Verse 7 says, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't actually give in to the options presented to him, okay? Instead, he challenges the crowd with a simple sentence that actually gets at the heart of how he wants us to act in an age of cancel culture. Verse 8, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. So Jesus returns the ball to the men who were trying to trap them, and he asks them, bros, which of you feel confident enough to pick up the rock and say, I've never made a mistake. And of course, when they're confronted with their hypocrisy, they literally have no other choice than to say, vamonos, and so they walk away. Look at verse 9. At this, those who heard Jesus began to walk away one at a time. The older ones first, until Jesus was left with only the woman still standing th there. Now, I'm not a betting woman, okay? But if I were, man, I'm pretty sure all of us have messed up at some point. We've either said, sing, said things or we've done things, whether publicly, whether on social media or in front of people, that we regret. It can't just be me, am I right? Now, I wanna share something with you, church but you have to promise me that you won't cancel me, okay? When I got my first job, I was 19 years old. I was a sophomore in college, and I got a job at Radio Shack of all places. Now, who here remembers Radio Shack? It was like the jankiest electronic store. But this is so embarrassing, you guys. You have to promise that you won't cancel me. Can you type yes on the chat if you promise that you won't cancel me? Well, here's what happened. Back then, I had a job where I got to offer all of the customers that came into the store an opportunity to open a Radio Shack credit store or credit card. And every time an application was successfully processed, I got paid a $5 commission. So a customer would come in, I'd offer them the credit card, they'd filled out an application, and then I had to call the US Radio Shack headquarters, and I had to give them like all the information that I had gotten about the credit card applicant, okay? So I'd call them on the phone from my Radio Shack in Puerto Rico, and headquarters in Texas would pick up. Radio Shack, Texas, how can I help you, Missy? And I'd say, uh, yes, hello, I'm here for a credit card application. What's the customer's name? Yes, it's uh, Juan Antonio Vega Miranda Ramirez Lopez. Come again? And I'm like, 
Juan Antonio Miranda Ramirez Vega Lopez. I'm sorry, miss. You're going to have to spell that out for me. So I'm like, okay, it's J as in Juan. Is that a J or a Y? And I'm like, serenity now, Lord. So I say, no, J as in John. And I start going through every letter, U as in umbrella, A as in apple, N as in nomad. I'm spelling out all these letters and I'm getting annoyed. So I can't believe I'm about to say this to you guys, but by the time I got to the 27th letter, the M in Miranda, I literally said M as in mother Flower, mother flower. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe that I'm telling you this, church. Full disclosure, I wasn't always walking closely with the Lord, so please don't cancel me because you know I didn't say mother flower. But guys, I was mortified because the customer was literally standing right in front of me. Ay, 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 church. I've never prayed so hard that a customer wouldn't speak English, but of course he did. And I got a warning in my record and it was embarrassing, but that was pretty much the extent of it. No one else found out and I didn't get fired. And to this day, I am so thankful that that didn't happen in this cancel culture or probably I wouldn't be a pastor today. I know, it's already in the chat. I can see it from here, hashtag cancel Kyra. But can you relate? I mean, maybe you've never cussed at someone in your workplace like I did, but maybe you've talked smack about a close friend and you've shown how double-minded you can be. You say one thing to your friend and then another thing about them behind their back because we've all said and done things that we regret. But aren't we glad that we didn't get canceled because of them? That's what Jesus is getting at in this story. I mean, here's Jesus and he's scribbling in the sand, going about his own day, and then he stands up and he says this amazing statement. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And no one could, so they left. And with the mob gone, when it was just Jesus and the woman, he turns to her and he asks her two questions. He says, woman, where are they? Meaning, where are your accusers? And then he says, has no one condemned you? And she responds, no one, sir. And then here's Jesus, and he tells her, neither do I condemn you. Go now and live your life of sin. By the way, did you catch the order of Jesus' response? He first offers the woman grace and forgiveness. I don't condemn you. And then he addresses the sin. But go now and sin no more. So which did Jesus give her? Did he actually condone her behavior? Did he give her a thumbs up? No, he didn't. Did he cancel her? No, he did not. He neither condones nor cancels. And in the process, he showed the Pharisees the right way to respond to because Jesus lived in the tension of a thumbs up and cancel culture. And that's why cancel culture is not kingdom culture. You see, cancel culture deals with things publicly. When you judge someone, 
for their actions because you think that they're wrong, guess what, amigo? You have fully embraced the worldview of the Pharisees. It's why cancel culture, quite honestly, is the new legalism. You're joining a public outcry for a swift reprisal. You're the judge, you're the jury, and you're the executioner. And by the way, that's how we know that the cheating woman in this story was under the risk of cancellation because her critics, the Pharisees, organized a public call for her stoning, which is the first century equivalent of being fired or put out of business in our modern times. But if cancel culture deals with things publicly, kingdom culture, on the other hand, deals with things privately. I don't condone, but I also don't condemn. Because what Jesus does is he corrects. Look at his words again to the woman. He straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and live your life of sin. And here's what I love about this story. Because in a one-to-one -one conversation, when it's just Jesus and the woman, he corrects her in love. It's just the two of them, and he is full of grace. He's loving. He's fair, but he's not weak. And after he extends his words of healing, neither do I condemn you. He extends words of correction. Go now and leave your life of sin. So notice, it's not that we're not called to correct people. God actually calls us to that. But he asks us to do it gently and privately, never publicly. In fact, in Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul actually writes these words. He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person with, what's the word, church? Gently. Type gently in the chat. In other words, you don't respond to people in outrage or in anger or shame them publicly and I'm going to go after your blood. You approach them gently. So understand, when people post things that offend you, and they will, instead of trying to burn them on Facebook, engage them in a personal way that pers preserves the relationship but actually points out what's troubling in the exchange. Because watch this, watch this. What's the second part? of the verse in Galatians that I just read. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Translation, be careful, Holmes, because there's going to come a day when you're going to slip up. So stay alert. And in the meantime, don't forget to treat others the way that you'd like them to treat you, because you're not without sin yourself. Remember Jesus' statement, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Cancel culture is not kingdom culture. Now, the second thing I want to highlight is that kingdom culture actually offers a roadmap of restoration because it operates on different principles when people mess up. Instead of weaponizing our response, I'm going to use this against you, or just ignoring it, we actually choose a third way. We do what Jesus did in John 8. We adapt to the culture without adopting its values. Now, a lot of people conflate these two things, okay? Adapting to the culture means I'm not going to compromise my values, and I'm not going to pretend that this isn't happening either, okay? We're called to live with eyes wide open, but we don't adopt the values of the culture because our response has to be different. 
And so today, what I want to do is I want to give you three practical steps that we see right here in this story. And that's going to help us live in the tension between the like and the cancel. So here's the, the first thing. The next time that you see a post that you don't like or agree with, your first reaction should be to ask great questions. You notice that in the conversation that Jesus had with the woman, he asked her for a report of what had happened. He asked her two questions. He said, where are they? And has no one condemned you? It's literally, like, I'm baffled when I'm reading this because it's literally like Jesus was busy dabbling in the dust, and it's like he was totally oblivious to what was happening between the women and the men because he's here, like, dabbling, and all of a sudden he stands up, and he asks her, where'd they go? Where are they? Where, where were the people that were condemning you? And I actually think he does it on purpose, by the way, because wise questions de-escalate situations. You ever notice that? His question to the mob, the thing that he told them, ultimately made them leave the woman alone, and his questions to the woman changed her life. So next time your impulse is to turn to cancel someone, I want to challenge you instead to turn to wonder, to literally ask yourself, I wonder. In fact, right now, wherever you are, you can type it in the chat or you can turn to your neighbor and say, hmm, I wonder. What made that person believe that? I wonder, why did they feel the need to post that? I wonder, what makes them think that way? Because I want you to know that when you preface a question with a statement, I wonder, it's actually one of the least triggering ways that you can ask a question. Because what you're doing is you're asking what is behind the heart of a person instead of responding with judgment. I think we can all agree it's super disarming when you jump to judgment, when people uh, just jump to judgment the first time. And that's what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't jump to judgment. Instead, Jesus is quick to ask great questions, which brings us to step number two. Listen empathetically. I think we can all agree, Jesus, man, that guy was a great listener. He shows so much compassion and so much feeling too. In fact, so much so that he entered into the woman's world to understand what is happening here, what, what's happening in this story. I mean, I want you to think about it. By the time the woman was brought to Jesus, she was hauled by the men, she's probably terrified that she's going to be stoned to death. And yet, he doesn't tell her what she needs to do to fix her problem. He doesn't interrupt her in a way that closes her heart. He didn't yell. He doesn't tweet. He doesn't pick up rocks. All of that is dismissive listening, which is actually the opposite of empathetic listening. Instead, Jesus listened to her responses because he was genuinely curious about the state of her heart, which brings us to the third and final step. Balance compassion with conviction. You see, Jesus has compassion on this broken woman. He's seeing her and he says, it's okay. I don't judge you. So who's throwing rocks? P.S. The only one worthy of throwing a rock is standing above her, looking down, and he's saying, neither do I 
condemn you. He has compassion for her brokenness. And you know what? I actually think sometimes all of us, we see people who are fizzing out, they're flaming out, they're spewing out toxic vomit all over the internet. But the truth is this, guys. Hurt people hurt people. And Jesus sees a hurting woman here, and he has this enormous compassion for her. But watch this. He never gives up his conviction either. He calls a spade a spade, and he calls a sin a sin. He actually tells her, go and what? Don't get caught next time? Mm -mm. Go and cover your tracks better? No. Jesus says, go now and leave your life of sin. Now, here's the challenge, guys. Ain't none of us here, Jesus. But notice, Jesus waits to express his conviction until they're all alone. He does it privately, not publicly in front of a crowd. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. You're probably thinking, Pastor Kyra, easier said than done. Easier for you to say, because you don't know about this person who offended me. Well, actually, I do know. You see, last summer, there was a pretty intense feud between two Puerto Rican rappers, and one of them wrote a song insulting his rival. And one of the insults in his lyrics is that he said his rival was retarded like a kid with Down syndrome. Now, some of you may or may not know that our son Andy has Down syndrome, so, of course, we heard about this because the Down syndrome community in Puerto Rico was pretty riled up. They were demanding, this rapper better be canceled. And the song was offensive to me, make no mistake. But I could have stepped over it, but then one of my closest friends posted on her Facebook criticizing the rapper's poor choice of words. And she said, you know what? Calling someone retarded like a kid with Down syndrome is super offensive. And she was 100% right. I mean, church, you have to understand, it is deeply offensive to the special needs community. And some of you may be thinking, oh, what's the big deal? Like, I remember using the R word when I was in high school. What's the big deal? I say it all the time. Well, the big deal is, is that it's deeply belittling, deeply dishonoring to people that are made in the image of God. It is very hurtful, and it minimizes people like my son Andy, who has extraordinary gifts. That's why we call them special needs. They may have a learning difference, but they are differently abled. And I'm not being politically correct. I'm just honoring the image of God in each of us. Amen, church? Well, after my friend posted on her Facebook about how offensive those lyrics were, another friend of ours replied to her post. And she said, literally said, Calling someone retarded like a kid with TS, it's not an insult, because according to me, everyone's retarded. She typed that in the comments. Can you imagine, church? You can make this stuff up, okay? So now I'm triggered, and I jump into the thread, and I replied to her comment, but it went downhill fast. And we took the conversation offline, but it got way more personal after that between the two of us. And let's just say I wanted to cancel her faster than you can say M as in mother bear. I don't know what you thought I was going to say. Mother bear. Because ain't nothing more personal than when someone messes with one of my kids. And ain't nothing hurt more than when it's caused by a friend. 
And I'm sitting this week in my home office, and I'm looking at this passage in John 8, and I'm like, Lord, what do I do with this? Because to be honest with you, Jesus, I feel justified in canceling her. She doesn't understand a thing about what it means to have a child with special needs. She is ignorant. That is super clear. So what's the point in preserving this relationship? Why am I going to fill my life with drama again? It's just so much easier to avoid her. And guys, I'll be honest, I wrestled with this for weeks. I was so full of righteous anger, and I wanted her to pay. Until, of course, I start writing this message, and the Holy Spirit just spoke to me, and it just clicked that I had become the Pharisee in this story because I was out for blood. Now, can you think of someone like that in your own life that you've been wrestling with? Like, who's the man or woman caught in the act that you'd like to reject? They said something stupid. They made a mistake. They insulted someone you love. Could it be the woke, progressive, social democrat on the far left that you can't stand on Facebook called your niece? Is it the MAGA-embracing, gun-toting, QAnon conservative that gets your blood boiling every time they post on IG? called your mother-in-law? Look, I have my triggers, okay? Stereotypes about people with special needs is one of them. Offensive Puerto Rican jokes, it's another. And when I see people posting that stuff, guess what? My flesh, all it wants to say is cancel, detach, push them away, unfollow. I want them out of my life. Why? Because that's what the world teaches us. But here's the truth, church. Jesus doesn't cancel people. He cancels our sin. Look, our society is divided all over the racial, political, and economic spectrum. It has never been easier to believe the lie that we are more different than alike. And it may be hard not to give in to cancel culture, but it's not impossible. And why is that? Because we're called to live in the tension between like and cancel, between condemning and condoning. Do you understand that's the difference between Jesus and cancel culture? That while our culture cancels people who have done terrible things, Jesus cancels the terrible things and not the people. And that's because Jesus doesn't cancel people. He cancels our sin. I want you to look at what Paul writes. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were toxic, while you were offensive to God, while you were up in his face, stepping on his stone, Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to cancel her sin. There's a big difference in canceling a person made in God's image and canceling their mistakes. And in a culture where we demand a track record of saying or doing the right things or you'll be canceled, Jesus Christ died on a cross for you and for me. And he says, you don't have to establish proof of your ability to live a sinless life. You don't have to earn my love. You don't have to pass some test. Because while you were busy not loving me, not living by my truth, not pursuing my kingdom culture, I'm busy dying for you. I'm not going to reject our relationship. I'm going to restore it. 
And through Jesus' death on the cross, he canceled our sin. He canceled our shame. He canceled our mistakes. He canceled our condemnation, our guilt. And he canceled the power of death and the grave. So I want you to understand, if Jesus didn't cancel us over our failures and our sins, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can avoid canceling others too. Jesus doesn't cancel people. He cancels our sin. Amen, church. Type amen if you agree. As followers of Christ, we have been called to live in the tension between like and canceled. We don't condone sin. Okay, this isn't the Wild West, anything goes mentality, okay? Christians are called to speak up boldly against abusive, immoral, and hurtful behavior. And sometimes that's going to require that we speak truth to power or people in positions of power. But watch, we do it in love. We offer compassion with the humility that we've been loved and forgiven by Christ. So when we see the mob move to cancel or reject someone, we need to remember we are not out for people's blood. That's where cancel culture polices social media. I'm going to look for comments that warrant cancellation. Believers are actually called to not keep a record of wrongs. And in the same way that Jesus' love pursues us despite our distance from God and never cancels us, we are to pursue others. We keep them accountable, but not with judgment. Remember what Jesus told the woman? I don't condemn you, but now go and sin no more. And in the case of my friend, our ending, quite honestly, is still being written. It's an incomplete story. I wish I could stand here and share a happy ending of tears and restoration, but sometimes, quite honestly, that process takes longer. But I'm asking Jesus to give me his spirit of John 8 in this story. And quite honestly, what I feel most of all for my friend right now is just this sense of compassion, that she said what she said because she doesn't know any better. And instead of fixating on her weakness, I'm actually asking God, can you help me see her in your strength? And obviously, as I studied this passage this week, I was even more convicted that I can restore that relationship because I'm not sinless myself, guys. And so I'm praying God will restore that relationship in his time, not just because it's what I would like, but because it's what he calls me to do. Jesus doesn't cancel people. He cancels our sin. And guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, Papo, that means you don't cancel people either. That doesn't mean we don't set boundaries if we need to. It doesn't mean we don't care for our own hearts or allow people to walk all over us. But it does mean we always stay in the relationship, trusting that Christ has the power to restore it. Amen, church? Let me invite you to pray. With our heads bowed, I want you to close your eyes because I know every single one of us has a person in our heads right now that we find offensive. And I want you to close your eyes right now as we pray and bring that person to mind. I want you to imagine 
Jesus is standing between the two of you with a bucket full of rocks. And he offers you a rock and he says, who wants to go first? And then Jesus holds up a rock and he looks at you and says, I don't condemn you. I took all of your sin and all of your shame on the cross. Now, do you want to throw? As you're thinking that, as you're praying that, I want to invite you right now. Drop the rock and take Jesus' hand. Ask him together to help us live in this tension of grace and truth. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for your help. Holy Spirit, do a work in each of us. Soften our hearts. Help us see each other in the ways in which you see us. Thank you that we are remembering, we can remember what Jesus did on the cross for us and that we are called to forgive others and to live with them in restored relationship. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for how you speak to us. And now we just ask that you do a mighty work in each of our hearts. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening.